episode 20 of out here in the middle podcast. I'm pretty excited. And it's the hardest, the hardest thing about this right now. <laughs> I'm trying to say Jessica's last name and not sound like a total ding dong. With us today is Jessica Dupuis. Did yeah. I say that? Did I say that right? Now I'm all confused. I feel like Philip <laughs> just came in and threw a cigarette butt at me. So, so, so Jessica, me and you have a long history. I mean, it's like, it goes back, what, at least 11 months. I'm going to say we're, yeah, definitely at more than that. Over a year. Over a Let's year. There. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty much steady friends then. Yeah. 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 So I get a, I get a, was it an Instagram message? No, it was a text message. I texted uh, you directly. Yeah. yeah. You did. How'd you get my number? <laughs> let's not tell everybody how you got my number. So we, we connect because you wanted to come out. You were on your way to Colorado and you wanted to go, you wanted to come and see the vineyard out here. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me because in four years of living in Dell city until this last year, uh, you were one of the first people to actually reach out and acknowledge the fact that there are grapes out here. No, yeah. not very many people know that we're, you know, we fly under the radar for me to say that that's pretty amazing, but we fly under the radar as far as people understanding where our vineyards are. And, right. And, yeah. and so you reached out and you were like, Hey, I wanted to, I, I want to come out and, and look at the vineyard and I'd like to meet you and whatever. And I said, that's so nice of you, but I'm way too good and I'm not going to be there. <laughs> it was, yeah, you're very busy. It was not like Typical that. Typical day. Typical. So if you're hearing, if you're hearing the other feminine voice on the interweb airways, that would be, we used to be intern Sarah. And uh, if you're listening out here in the middle and you follow me on Instagram, then you've probably gotten a glimpse of Sarah. If not, if you don't know who Sarah is, Sarah came uh, to us in June. May, I think. May, June, yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. there. Yeah. It was around May. So, so Sarah, comes to us as an intern during COVID out of New York. Um, and we have done a good job of brainwashing her. She's drank the Kool-Aid and she's decided to join our team full-time. Locked in. You are locked and loaded. It's perfect. So I figured with as much firepower as Jessica brings to the podcast today, I needed some backup. Jessica, do you feel okay with having Sarah as my backup? Yes. Okay. Not afraid. It's perfect. (laughs) So why in the world would we, would we want to talk about Jessica on the podcast? And if, if that's what you're, if you're wondering right now, um, it is, oh yeah, it is her second time on here. You were like, were they the first, you were the, the first, very first, you were the first episode, you and Chris. <laughs> it was a surprise attack. Yes, but I was, I was, yes. It was, and, and that was a surprise attack for us too, because we really didn't plan on doing, we weren't really planning on rolling the podcast out yet, but that is still to this day, one of the highest reviewed uh, podcasts we've had because it was a great conversation. And then yeah, you, it was. you reached out to me I've, I've, in the, in the time that we have not been able to see each other. Uh, we were talking about some of the big accolades that you got coming down the road and you are releasing a book. Yes. Like it's like, this is not like, this is not hot off the press. It's like burn your fingertips. This mother's hot. She's ready to roll. Yeah. Smoking. So you came out to the vineyard and I wasn't around and you got to hang out with El Frenchie, which is Spanish for the Frenchie. And Mm -hmm. 
What did you think when you came to Dell City? You know, um, so like I cover wine in Texas, but also cover wine from all over the world. And so I'm always just kind of amazed when I see a vineyard sitting somewhere because the, the scenery and the environment is kind of the most important part to even understand what you might be getting from the grapes. And I don't think anything really could have prepared me for what I was going to see. Like I've been to El Paso, but proper, right? Like I've gone to the city because I flew there. I didn't drive there. Or I've driven to Colorado or New Mexico, but not by way of Dell City. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I think what really struck me was just how similar it looked places like the Uco Valley in Argentina, which, which is right up against the Andes Mountains. And I know that the Guadalupe Mountains aren't quite the Andes, um, but there's this aridness to it. There's, but there's this like really neat kind of mountain feel that you get. And um, more than anything, the, the soils and everything just look really similar as well. Um, and so I just was kind of... And then, of course, I saw the vineyards. I happened to drive by them by accidentally getting lost trying to find Chaffe um, and was like, whoa, what did we stumble on here? This is unusual. Um, they look so big and healthy and lush. Um, and then to have them kind of, you know, contrasted by, you know, Guadalupe Peak in the background, it was just really, really stunning. Um, just, listening, so yes. just listening to your talk, I'm just like, yeah, I could read whatever you're writing. Very, I mean, yeah, you're, you're painting a good picture right now. And I'm like, oh yeah, I totally knew that. Oh wait, that's where I live. It's oh, that's where you live. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it takes me a little while, especially on Friday. I've only had like four foot, four cups of coffee this morning, so I'm not quite firing <laughs> on all cylinders yet, but you, you, you came out and you, and, and I'm not going to cut your story short, but at the same time, what, what made, what made you get into writing about wine? I mean, mm. let's face it, wine is amazing. I love wine. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, it's one of those niches. You know, why does a person pick up a camera? Why does a person uh, pick up a pencil? Why does a person start farming? Any of those kind of things. But why wine and why you? Mm. Well, it's kind of an accident, right? Isn't Aren't most things that we all fall into? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I started out as a food writer and still do a bit of that. Um, but But you're so skinny. I, <laughs> right. Thank you. How, how does that happen? Uh, <laughs> I would make a great food writer. Oh, well, so that's the thing is like you, same with wine, right? I taste a lot of things. I just don't always eat or drink all of it. <laughs> oh, that's the, um, that's the key. <laughs> like amazing self-control. There you go. Except for with certain things like chocolate cake or, um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so how did I get? Oh, so the story. Yeah. So I, I was already doing some writing with Texas Monthly Magazine, who I've done a lot for over the past more than a decade now. Did you, and, did you study journalism or, or creative writing or anything like that in college? Uh, I studied politics um, and French. So um, then I. Is that why you realized, married your husband was just so you could have a French last name? <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I studied abroad in France to try to speak French because in Texas that doesn't really happen. And uh, I was convinced after that time there that I would get to marry a Frenchman. And um, as didn't happen, I married a guy from Kerrville who has a French name. So, um, not you know, lofty goals kind of end up somewhere. 
How amazing is that though? Cause you get your wish in a way, but you don't have to become a socialist. <laughs> Social Ooh, democracy. If you want to pull me in. Yeah, no, no. If you want to pull me into politics, I will go all day long, but not on the, on a side, just more like, I think this, this political theory is what, what interests me. Not so much the, the other stuff. Anyway, I'm not in politics now and there's a reason for that. <laughs> uh, wine is so much more diplomatic. Um, Anyway, so so I was given an assignment, uh, really, um, which is kind of a joke now because the question was, is Texas wine, is there a story there? This was over 10 years ago. Is there a story there? Is it worth writing about? What should we be talking about? Why don't you go find out? And so that's what I did. Um, but part of the problem was that even though I had enjoyed wine in my life and knew what I thought I liked, um, I didn't really know anything about wine. So I needed... And if I was going to write for Texas Monthly Readers, I needed to be able to say, because a lot of them are very well educated and very much into wine, um, I needed to be able to put Texas in context with the rest of the world. So it kind of set me on a journey of studying for different certifications um, in the sommelier world. Um, which so are, are you a sommelier? I am, yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't work a restaurant floor, so there is a difference. And I, I very much admire the people who are out there really on the floor doing that. But I did all the studying and all of the blind tasting and everything like that. So I'm a certified sommelier. And right now I'm working on uh, a diploma through the Wine and Spirits Educational Trust, which is kind of like a college degree level, kind of like it's a lot of studying and memorizing and things like that. So does that mean Um, that you have to take out insurance on your liver? Uh that's a good question. I should ask about that. <laughs> Certainly on my, my palate, right? Like you got to make sure. Oh yeah. I've got a brother-in-law okay. that's a chiropractor that his hands are insured. I, yeah. I mean, I know, I know Robert Parker has had his palate insured, but you know, right. that's a whole different story. I'll wait, I'll wait on that. Um, so anyway, that whole journey has been great because at the same time, my favorite thing is telling stories. The wine thing has just kind of been like, I just need to know what I'm talking about. Um, but all that time I've been interviewing people and, and going to different parts of the wine regions in Texas. Um, uh, and now, you know, other parts of the country and other parts of the world. And it's really helped bring everything into a much clearer picture in terms of where Texas wine is going. Um, are there things worth talking about? Absolutely. Um, what's the good stuff? You can read my stuff. Just look me up on Google. I had to find out because I'm not going to go through a long list right now. But, it's, it's, um, it's Jessica Dupree, but do not use the R. Yeah, no R. It's just Dupuy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was that, yeah. Sarah? How do you say it? Dupuy. Yeah. Sarah got it. Yeah. She got it. She, she's, she's got a feel for French. Yeah. Right. She's got to put up with Philip too. So You're hanging out with Philip too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. <sighs> now, Jessica, are you originally from Texas? Like, what got you interested in Texas wine to start? Yeah. So, so I am from Texas. Yay. I grew up in Austin and, um, I, yeah, I mean that, I mean, I've always, like I said, I've been interested in wine since living in Europe briefly, um, in college, which, you know, um, I happen to live in a a very, really, really, really neat, um, wine region in France, which is the Alsace region. And, um, so the the Alsace, so like, you know, your history, like Alsace Lorraine is that kind of border area between Germany and France that was often fought over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they've got amazing wines and it was a really cool place to kind of start. 
Um, but when I came back to so being from Texas, I love all things. I mean, as, a, as most Texans, um, for good or bad, I like things about um, our state, our history, our food, our culture, all of that. And so it was really cool to dig into Texas wine and kind of figure out what what's worth talking about and where is it going and, and everything. So that's kind of been like a 10 year journey. I mean, we're, we're well into it, so it's good. So as you're, as you're, you know, culturing your palate deeper in Texas wine, um, mm-hmm. how, how let's, let's just say, ask this, how long have you been involved with Texas wine? Yeah, I would say now it's, I, I feel like that first assignment I got was like 2008, 2009. And, um, and, and so, yeah, 2008, 2009. Um, let me see. 2008. I'm, I'm still trying to think of where I was at in life, but at the so what are you seeing in 2008 in Texas wines? Well, I'm seeing a lot of talk about things at that time that were a departure from things that, from how things started in Texas. So if, if, we're, if we're going real history here, like wine really started being grown in Texas in like the, the late 1600s, right? Same with New Mexico, the, the border of, of Mexico, that whole, of course, at that time, all of it was Mexico, but um it's been grown for centuries, um, but the modern Texas wine industry started in like the 19, late 60s, early 70s with some, some experimental planning. And that was based on how, how things were going in California. California was starting to get a name for itself as a, a really cool wine growing region. And um, because of that, Texans started to plant things that were doing well in California, which are grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot. Um, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, um, and um, and I think you grow all of those things, right, Jay? Yeah. Okay. So, um, so not that we can't grow those things in Texas. Obviously, we have, you have to have unique sites like you have. Um, but the majority of Texas, if you compare it to other parts in the rest of the world uh, that do well with wine, um, our climate and growing conditions really are, are better suited or more similar to places like the Rhone Valley in France and the warmer parts of Spain and Italy. And so when and I started that's writing, why you see oh, a, a big, you know, you see a lot of those bold Tempranillos and yes, uh, yes. yeah. And so when I started covering Texas wine, that was when it was happening. People were like, no, 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 no. Let's, we need to see what Tempranillo can do. That, that started being planted in like the late 90s. And so by 2008, 2009, all of it was kind of coming into to vision in terms of what the wines were going to be like. Mm-hmm. And so Tempranillo took a hold. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a producer out of the High Plains named Kim McPherson, who um, has long been a big champion for warm climate grapes. So other grapes you grow like Syrah. Uh, Merved, you have, you have an amazing block of Merved that nobody knows about. And now they do. Um, and yeah, that's true. (laughs) Thanks to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like those grapes are really promising because they grow really well in the warm sun baked region of the Rhone Valley in Southern France. And, um, we have very similar soils to that. So, so all of a sudden, I'm, I started covering Texas wine when everyone's starting to make a shift towards grapes that are definitely more appropriate 
for us to be growing. And, um, and so the wines were starting to reflect that as well, which was really cool. And I would say that I just got lucky in, in starting to cover it then and then watching it evolve over the next 10 years um, to where there are some really, really solid producers doing some really great things with really good fruits. Um, and so the next 10 are going to be even more exciting, I think. Well, the thing, too, is, I mean, you're seeing such a huge shift out of California, not not just uh, products, but people, you know, mm. and, and especially into the hill country. And now in the uh, the Austin area, you're seeing just yeah. it seems like droves of people leaving um, California and trying to, you know, they they're they're sick of the people. They're sick of the politics and they they want to go somewhere at the same time. Uh, they've had the ability to have really great wines around them for a long time. And now you've right. got fantastic people that are making wine um, like Chris and, and uh, shoot even Katie Jane and, and uh, Jason mm-hmm. and all of these people that are doing just, just phenomenal work. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I I'm think we're starting, it's kind of oh, the, the yeah. Phoenix rising, you know, Texas wine was not dead, but it was not good. <laughs> or if yeah, it, it's just, it's just an iteration, right? Like when you, first start playing baseball in little league, you don't get out there and start kids hits and hitting, you know, getting, you know, getting great returns on that. Right. Like it takes a while. Unless you were. Um, unless, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know your history and all of that, but, but super, super athletic, always toned. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's no. possible we meandered longer than other places did. So for instance, like I've covered Arizona wine and they seem to lock in on what, and they're much, technically younger industry, but they seem to zero in on things that work best for them a little bit quicker than we did, mm-hmm. but they're still, you know, by comparison in terms of the number of wineries they have versus the number of wineries Texas has, you know, people like to say we're the biggest, but, um, that doesn't necessarily mean we're the best all the time. That, and that's my job is to say, let's, let's all keep a level head here. <laughs> right. And, so, and, and at the yeah. same time, you know, you were, the, the thing that I appreciated about the, what you've been out here three times now. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and with those visits, you, you weren't necessarily, you weren't fluffing, you know, I joke around a lot about myself and my ego and all of those kind of things, but you, there was no fluff. You were just being mm-hmm. honest about what you thought and what you, I don't like this. I do like that. I don't like this. I do like that. And I, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate about you. Uh, one of many things okay. that I appreciate about you, but at the same time, you're not trying to fluff up the Texas wine industry just because you love Texas. You're trying to, you're trying to actually in, in your writing and in your broadcasting, should I say, you're actually telling people really what they should expect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I owe it to readers, right? Cause it doesn't help any, I mean, in the, I mean, actually in the end, it helps only the industry. It doesn't help anyone for me to tell people, yeah, go to these five wineries because they're close to you or because they happen to be on a road in proximity to a tourist region, right? Mm-hmm. If the wines aren't good, I'm not going to tell you to go there because when you have one bad experience, you'll never go back and, and you won't give others a try. And so I, I owe it to the wineries, to be honest. I owe it to the readers, to be honest. And, um, and, and so I definitely would not put myself in the category of I'm a cheerleader and, you know, come one, come all, everyone's great. I think it helps everyone to have constructive criticism in a positive way. Absolutely. But, um, especially, be, especially like us that, you know, we're, we're so novice in this, 
Um, right. You know, Danny is, he's, you know, I call him the culture palate because he does. He enjoys mm-hmm. wine from all over the world. He understands what he's drinking. Me, I'm still pretty young in that. I'm, you know, and I'm working at it, which is, it's one of the funnest jobs I've had is to work at, at my understanding work what I daily. do like. Yeah. <laughs> work it, yeah. baby. Uh, but at the, <laughs> at the same time, um, it, it's, it's really encouraging for us to be able to get true feedback because when people are like, you know what, I just really like you as a person and I want to support you. So I'm just going to, you know, fluff you. Uh, mm-hmm. The world, the reason that people's feelings get hurt so much on a day-to-day basis is because we've had too much fluff. So right. let's just be honest about it. If it sucks, it sucks, yeah. but there's ways to work around the suck. Right. 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 And there's ways to say it without like, it sucks. You can be like, I don't think this is your best showing, right? Like you can always say things like that, but I, I think, think this that, is your best showing. You told me that about some wine too. And I was like, I think I may oh, have. You did. You did. I was just like, who are you? <laughs> um, I think it can be better. Another one of our awesome sponsors is Big Frig Coolers. You know, it seems like everybody has a cooler. I mean, if you if you think about your new garage or in the trunk of your car or in the back of your pickup, we all have coolers. One thing about being a farmer and running around on the roads that we have, I can beat the living crap out of anything that you put in the back of my truck. And I've had a lot of coolers. I did not understand what it was like to have a well-made cooler until I got a Big Frig cooler. I got to meet Brock a while back. He's the owner of Big Frig. Him and his amazing team have gone through uh, trial after trial, making sure that they are putting together the best built cooler that you can buy. The cool thing about Big Frig is you're able to customize your cooler as well. So if you're looking for a personalized logo or if you're looking for something for your company to be on top of that, so that way you're always repping your company, get with the guys at Big Frig. They can do any kind of crazy custom order. Uh, I've got my J-Hill logo on mine and I absolutely love it. Went elk hunting with it, orange rubbed all over it. It still looks absolutely amazing. Go to bigfrig.com. They've got all kinds of awesome things and we support their movement as they support ours. We look forward to the future with Big Frig. And of course, one sponsor that I really can get behind, and I'm so honored to be a part of this great team, Chaffe. Chaffe is a Western-grown forage. It's an alfalfa-based product that's grown in the high desert of West Texas, actually in the shadow of the Guadalupe Mountains, which is the tallest point in the state of Texas. Chaffe is a premium feed in the fact that we take alfalfa and we let biology do what it does best. It jumps in and it breaks down that feed through the culturing process that allow probiotics and all of these microbes to allow this product to be highly digestible by your animal. If you want more information about Chaffe, you can go to chaffe.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or just stop by your local feed store and ask them about Chaffe. If they don't know anything about it, send them our way. Have them ask questions. Tell them Jay sent you. If you're looking for the right forage for your farm, try Chaffe. So um, but, let's get towards, let's get towards your, your book a little bit. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What, how many books have you written? Well, so this is technically my seventh book. Jeez. Um, I know most of my books though are cookbooks, right? Like, so this is my first like wine book. Right. Um, yeah. So everything I've done in it so far with books is like either working with different chefs from restaurants that just, you know, chefs are good at chefing, but they don't know how to write. I mean, they know how, but anyway, they need to help with writing their story. Right. So I would do that. Um, and then a couple of my cookbooks are more taking, uh, looking at regional history of flavors and foods and kind of writing about recipes and stuff from Texas and then from the South. But this one was also regional. 
um, but only about wine. So taking a look at the Southwest, you know, combining Texas with New Mexico and Arizona and Colorado, which all have wine industries. And a lot of people may not know that. Yeah. So, yeah. As you, as you, well, I, I, what is your book called? The the one that we're talking about right now. Yes. Yes. So, um, the wines of Southwest USA. How long does it take you to get enough of the details? Like as, as you're, as you're touring around and traveling and doing all of these kind of things, are you looking at, are you looking at, at looking at those travels, like coming out here and doing all these kind of things? Are you looking at that as far as I'm putting this in my book or are you looking at this as I'm learning from each experience? I'm going to take notes down and eventually I'm going to recap and write a book. Mm-hmm. Or do you, I mean, I, I've never written a book, so I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you go out as, Hey, I am gathering information to put into a book that I'm writing or, I'm I'm just living life and grabbing experiences. Eventually I'll pull enough of those files out that I can, you know, put them together and it becomes a book. Well, in my line of work, it's kind of both, right? Because it helps to be on assignment for something because that's how I make money, right? Like how my job works. Um, but at the same time, because I love stories so much about people and places, um, I always, I mean, I, I you wouldn't even believe how many spiral notebooks I have from all the places I've been where I'm like, I could use that again one time. Don't throw that away. Like, hold on to it, you know? Um, and so in this case, I was on assignment. I knew the book, I was assigned the book. Um, and interestingly, you know, the publisher of this book is based in the UK in Oxford, England. And, um, they primarily write books or have written books about big iconic old world wine regions in Europe. So, you know, Burgundy and Chablis and Greece and um, Rioja, Spain. And um, so this is that, and they've done some new things too, like New Zealand and South Africa, which just came out. And all of them are really great, but this is kind of their first pivot towards American wine. And so they do have other people right now writing a book for like California and Washington and Oregon. Um, but they actually decided to start this American series in their, what they call the classic wine library um, by looking at the Southwest region of the country. So that's why it's called the wines of Southwest USA. Um, and so it's neat because this actually is the birthplace of any sort of uh, real wine being planted um, as I mentioned earlier, it was first planted in like the 1600s because of Spanish missionaries who needed wine for sacramental use and whatever <laughs> and other things. Um, so anyway, it's uh, it's been a really cool thing because when I came out to you, like for instance, this book doesn't actually include like a profile on you. Sorry. Um, but <laughs> it was important for me to understand. I've got to just church can- myself up to get into the middle of that book. <laughs> <laughs> it's because yeah, I had a bad yeah. showing, wasn't it? It's, it's because you didn't show up the first time. I mean, I'm oh. kidding. You had a speaking engagement, I think. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, um, no, but it's, be- it's uh, it was more important for me to see about like one of the biggest wineries in the state of Texas sources their fruit from you. And they've done that because they really value the, the, the vineyards that you guys have been managing there. And, um, and I needed to see that because they talked about it. They've talked about it for years. And I was like, why 
what's so special about it? Why do I, you know, why does it matter to you? And so because I knew their winemaker, Jason Santani, um, love Jason. Is, we're, I love Jason and we're talking about Yano Estacado. Uh, we should probably mention that. Um, I, I felt it was really important to see that, especially because I was also covering New Mexico for this book and you are literally on the border, you know? Um, and so I really wanted to kind of see any the transitions, you know, because wine and the history of wine doesn't really know state borders. It doesn't care about state borders, but, um, so what, what you're, and you know this more than anyone, what soils you see literally where you are, you know, 15 miles north or south or west aren't going to be much different, um, depending on what you're growing and things like that. You I know? know, and we've got, I've got a spot picked out that I think would make an unbelievable, you know, and this is me saying that, but an unbelievable vineyard, but it's yeah. in New Mexico by, a, by about 200 yards. So really? Okay. Yeah. So, which, I mean, which we could do that and go with grapes into New Mexico and, and work on that. But, you know, yeah, I think we're, we're trying to find our world. You know, I think that's one thing that I appreciate about you too, as, as grape growers, as, as wine grape growers that we've, we've got to find out what we want and yep. we've got to figure out what direction we want to head. And for us to sit back and, and talk to people that are actually out here scouring and looking and understanding and doing all this stuff, writing books. Um, mm. That kind of gives us a, a better game plan of what we want to do. Sorry for the sidetrack, but so, so well, you're, you're, it's important. Yeah. What you're saying is really important because, and I, I hope we don't have like a flood of Californians coming to move to Dell city, but what I discovered, which to, to answer the first question you had is, Maybe this book doesn't have like a big old profile about you and Dell City, but what it did do is make me think deeper about other coverage that I'm going to want to do and come back to you about later. And it's because you are in a unique growing region that that people aren't really aware of, and they should be because yeah, I think you've got a you've got a lot of great pieces of the puzzle for growing great grapes. Yeah, um, and and, and the, yeah. the fun thing is is we're learning more and more. You know, every year is a different year. Um, yeah, we owe yeah. a lot of that too. And, and he'll never listen to this and he'll never know that he gets the credit for it. But that stinking Frenchman that we've got, he's um, great. he's great. I yeah. mean, he's, he's hard headed. He's a pain in the ass, but at the same time, he's just, he's amazing. So we're very, the very, very Lito. Yeah. Yes. He is, he is really, he knows his stuff, man. And, um, you really, really, really have a great treasure in him. We won't build him up too much because he'll just say, yes, I know. Yeah, um, that's exactly what we were saying. <laughs> I know, I know. Get back to work. I know. <laughs> exactly. But um, but it's cool. And he has quite a bit of history in growing New Mexico wine. So Absol yeah, absolutely. He, yeah. So he's got a really cool connection there. Um, yeah. So uh, doing that book was really great because it just was a great way to kind of understand four different industries, which all are going at things in a different way but they all could learn quite a bit from each other in a helpful way. So um, it was really neat. Yeah, for sure. So, so where all does this book, I mean, the Southwest, but I mean, give us some more key characters that are, that, that we're going to find inside this thing. Well, so I think what a lot of people, um, you know, they think about California when they think about American wine and they think about, um, you know, 
well, they don't think about the Southwest. And I think um, that's okay. Uh, but what I think is unique about the Southwest is, again, the growing environment. And you're a perfect person to talk to about this just because you've been a farmer. Um, you know, you, you're working in unique elevation, like where you are right now. Is it like 4,000 feet, something like that? Um, in parts of Arizona where I went to, uh, they're growing grapes definitely around 3,500 to 4,500 feet. And in some cases, 5,000 feet. So you're talking about some of the highest. And then in Colorado, let's just go to the mountains right now. They've got some vineyards planted at elevations near 7,000 feet. You don't have anything like that anywhere else in the world except for the Andes Mountains. So in Argentina and in parts of Chile. And so um, that is unbelievably unique. If you think about Napa Valley, they're growing around 3,000 feet because they're so close to the coast. And so what's neat about the Southwest is it's at the, the baby tail end of the Rocky Mountains. And because of that, um, and a lot of other geologic formations, which we don't need to go into right now. But because of that, um, you've got great diurnal shift, which is a big SAT word that means during the day it can be hot, as you know, but at night you get an unbelievable cooling off. And that is so essential for what grapes need to be able to kind of get, get baked and ripe during the day and then go to sleep at night and let all of those things settle into the chemistry of the grapes so that then the next day it can do the same thing over again. Um, the fact that y'all live in, I mean, the fact that you're in, and this is for all of these regions, so Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, in areas that are so dry also helps because you're not dealing with as much disease. Um, and well, so we're dry. I mean, we're like, we're like, yeah. a, we're like a Merlot over here at the moment. It's ridiculous. Um, it, but good for growing grapes, right? Like, I mean, in parts of, there are other parts of this, this Southwest region, particularly like in the hill country of Texas, where we deal with a lot more humidity and we grow some real, there's some really cool vineyards close to Galveston in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, that grows a certain varieties that can do a, much better in humidity. So I don't want to discount the fact that we're growing, you know, in certain areas that are wetter, if you will. Um, but what I think that was the big takeaway for me in terms of the region as a whole. And that's that um, we, we are similar to some really, really neat regions uh, in the other parts of the world that are, are truly heralded as being amazing growing regions. And I think that's like the best kept secret about what we've got right now in, in the Southwest. And it, it is, is really playing with fire, especially those of us in the Southwest, because we are still so susceptible to, you know, a, again, the high plains probably know it better than anybody, but freeze. Mm. And, yes. and, and for us, it's just so we've had three seasons that we've been blessed with. Uh, we, we set our record this year for harvest, uh, quality looked really, really, really good this year, but then the tonnage yep. followed it. Yep. And, yep. and it's just been because of what's happened with the weather. And we all know, you know, they're calling for a La Nina this winter out here and, yep. and what that means. So it's going to be dry and it's going to be cold. And, uh, yep. and so those are two factors that really can affect all of us. Yes. And, and it's a good point to make because, you know, the, the 2020 harvest, you know, talk about how hard 2020 has been. Um, but in 2019, October of 2019, the high plains got hit really hard by an early, what's early for Texas, 
uh, fall freeze. And it really devastated vineyards this year for the, for the growing season of 2020. And so they pulled in a fraction of the, the tonnage that they would normally pull in. And I mean, we're talking bank breaking problems here. Um, and so that is huge about what we're talking about with the Southwest is, is mother nature is dramatic out here, you know? And so, but it does, it not does a, make some dramatic grapes. I mean, it does. It does. And, yeah, and nothing, I mean, nothing's easy, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not hard, it's not worth it, but yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Remind Katie of that. <laughs> you got <it>. Katie Jane. <laughs> yeah. Katie Jane or my wife, Katie. Oh, are you? Oh, Katie. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, bless her. I think she knows. I think she was built like that. She knows that. Oh, down. that's right. That's right. Um, so I think that like, um, and then you guys have, so the, if it's not freeze, it's hail, right? Or if it's not hail, I kept hearing about in New Mexico, Goliath. Ligus? Is this the word, the Goliath, like, you know, David and Goliath? Oh, that, um, that was a winter storm. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a horrible winter storm. So big winter storms and Arizona has, right during harvest is their monsoon season. Believe it or not, they have monsoon season. So right when they're trying to harvest, they could just get a deluge of desert um, rain, which is just horrible for when you're picking grapes because it changes the chemistry and, you know, drastically. And when you're trying to get your, your perfect chemistry on the grapes. So, um, and this year, Arizona, um, the Sonora region that grows some of the best grapes, um, they got hit by a hailstorm about a week or this one vineyard in particular that makes some of the best wines in the state, Calligan Vineyards, they got hit by a hailstorm and basically lost almost all of their harvest, you know? And so the, the, that part, I don't, I want to say I like it, but in terms of the story of the people behind who's making these wines, that's where it's really compelling because these are farmers and they get up every day and do the same thing, but they don't know what they're going to face from the weather and things like that. And, um, and, and this, yet they still do it. And this is one thing too, that, and I think that's what makes your book exciting is, and this is not to take away from California wine growers at all, because I've got some friends that are wine growers in California and winemakers in California, and they do an unbelievable job. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, excluding two years of extreme wildfires and all of those kind of things, it, the reason that their grapes grow so well there is because it's, kind of the perfect climate for what they want to do. They make good wine. They, they pretty, for the most part, know what's coming at them, you know? So the, yeah. the changes that they're making in the winemaking, in the, in, in the actual um, grape growing processes, they're, those are very micro changes that they're having to adjust to. And those micro changes show up in the wine in very bold and, and authentic ways to differentiate themselves on a shelf Whereas right. out here, it's kind of like, you know, the Civil War, we all just line up against each other and everybody fires their musket and we're just like, oh, God, who's left? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, and it, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a horrible way to farm sometimes, but at the same time, it, it makes for years like this when we see, and again, my hat goes off to all the people in the High Plains that have had to go through that scarring. It was, it was a bad year for the High Plains. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was. And, and, and unfortunately, as warm as things have been, um, there's a, there's this creeping possibility that we could see another, you know, 
whack come out, come out of nowhere again. So we're, I think yeah. everybody's kind of on edge as it seems right now, Yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I feel like our story is, is being written. And that's, again, I'm appreciative to you writing the story of, of the hardships, but it just makes the wine. The reason that I want to drink a bottle of wine right now is not just because I know that the bottle of wine is going to taste good, but I want to know a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. And especially in this mm-hmm. day and age with millennials and Gen Z and all of these people, there, there's, there's an even more outreach of people wanting that they want some authenticity of what they're, what they're, you know, enjoying. Yeah. And so, right. so with you doing that, it's cool because it kind of tells the story of what we're trying to do out here. I can, I can squawk all I want in the vineyard on, on Instagram, but then when people mm-hmm. are out there and they hear about, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that, you know, we had that cold freeze. I mean, and we were very, very fortunate to escape that out here. We were about a degree, mm-hmm. two degrees off from really being scarred out here. And, uh, and it's one of those things, you know, it's supposed to be 98 here tomorrow and then Monday it's going to be 68. So, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. those kind of things that were like, Holy cow, you know, I hope we've got, you know, it was a good one year for us, but at the same time, we're not going to have anything in the tank for next year. So what, what's happening? Right. Right. Yeah. And that, that's the hard part. I mean, um, rates are, are not, they don't fall into that category of a commodity in the same way that you might, I mean, the other things that you farm, right. I mean, because of that, um, inconsistency from vintage to vintage, you know, but let's not, you know, let's not forget that like there are other regions in the world that struggle like the, you know, Champagne and Burgundy are constantly dealing with hail and freeze and all sorts of things like that. And um, so I love that we're drawing attention to it, but, you know, everyone's got problems. And, and yeah, not, as you mentioned it with California, I mean, yes, they've got a perfect growing environment, but um, the fires are giving them a run for their money. It's horrible. Um, and at the end of the day, though, because wine is something that we all gather around the table to enjoy and not necessarily in a pretentious, you know, uh, way, right? Like people have been doing this in communities because uncle so-and-so had a vineyard and made some wine out of it. in you know, a little town in Italy, right? Like this is something we've been doing for centuries as a community, you know, sitting around the table, drinking some wine and having some food and being together. Um, that is the difference. And you correct me if I'm wrong between why we want to keep keep at it with the vineyard versus, you know, like, and I actually would love to talk to you more about this, like farming something like chili peppers or cotton where that's not coming to the table. You're not sitting around and talking about your cotton at the table, right? Why aren't we? Um, we should. Well, that's what I mean. Like that's the difference in, um, in that, that farming product, right? Like that, that the agricultural shift there is, there's something different there. Uh, um, which doesn't discount the importance of all the other things being grown. But I think that's where vineyard growers and grape growers are like, no, but we're doing this because it's part of, it's part of our culture. Right. Um, yeah. No, and, and, and I think we're going to see more and, and more of that. It, for us to survive in agriculture, we've got to be able to have some kind of connection or hook back to people. Wine, mm-hmm. wine is the original hook. Mm-hmm. You know, wine dates back, 
I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's in the Bible for crying out loud. There you go. So, That's right. Yeah. I mean, so, so we've got, we've got this history on wine and how it brings people together and how it, it builds people up and all of these kind of things. But if we're going to survive as a country and not being able to produce things as cheap as other nations, then we're going to have to find that hook. We're going to have to find things that, that kind of engage you know, why do I wear the shirt that I wear? Well, it came from cotton from, you know, Jay's farm. And it's one of these yep. things that, you know, whatever it's going to be. And we, we, we've got to continue to do that. The, yeah. the thing that I appreciate a lot about what you're doing is you're bringing attention to us. Yes. You're doing this for an occupation and a living. Uh, it's something that you're obviously extremely passionate about, but it, we are able to start to set hooks in different parameters into different industries because people like you are starting to take an interest in something that brings revenue, not only dollars, but brings value from people and input back to us as producers. Right. Right. Well, and my hope is that, that people like yourself, I mean, you, you referenced how, you know, Danny is the cultured palate and you is just trying to work every day at, at learning more about it. I mean, that's the, that's the most fun part about it, right? Like, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey in terms of wine preferences. It's, it's just that you're on the journey, right? I mean, so I hope that in what I do, I mean, this book in particular is more in the academic vein and kind of like it talks about climate and soils and stuff. So if that's not your thing. Do you believe in climate um, change? Do I believe in climate change like a religion? Um, I will tell you this. I do know having spoken with different grape growers across uh, the world, whether in Germany, and Germany is a perfect example because of the cool climate uh, that it is used to growing in. Um, that's all the German I know. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. That's a niche. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> Nine. I know that one too. <laughs> okay. So you were saying. Um, I just, I, I think it's an impossible to dispute the differences that people who have been historically growing, if not for one generation and certainly for two to three generations and the, and the conditions that are completely different now. And so I've spoken to Kim McPherson before who his father originally planted a vineyard in the late 1960s in the high plains. And, um, and Kim has been making wine out there for decades. Um, and now he talks about how, yeah, I mean, we used to harvest and it would be in the 50s, low 50s at night in August. And now that we haven't seen that in years. Oh, no. And it's so 70, it's little 80s. things like, like that where, um, yeah, I mean, all of that's starting to be documented. Arizona's starting to document it. Um, we, when it comes to understanding what climate change is doing in the Southwest, um, all of that's starting to be discovered. In fact, this book, um, I wrote a little sidebar about it. Like we don't have definitive definitives in the way that Germany has been marking it and other parts of the world have been marking it. Uh, but already people who have been in it, at least for the past 30 years are, can, can speak to some differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I, would say. I think, I think per, the people that are experiencing year after year, what a vintage brings are the people that can really, um, give it a, a true account of what, what, what's happening. I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm curious. And that's a question that I'm, I'm asking more and more people. I've been on this climate change deal for a, for a couple of years and talking about carbon mm-hmm. sequestration and all of those kind of things. And yeah. 
Uh, it's yeah. it's a huge bag of worms. People look at it, how it's politically motivated. People look at it, how it's, you know, the climate is changing regardless of what you believe on climate change. If you think it's yeah. cyclical or if you think it's something that we as mankind are doing, there's so many things that we can dive into. But at the same time, it is having a true effect on what's happening in the wine world. Correct. And it shouldn't be political. It's so, so that, that is. What's not political so far, now though. I mean. So far from what it, well, I know. I get it. You're talking this. Yeah. So I'm going to study it. But that's the point. It's like, can we just leave that alone? Because we, people need to, you know, deal with what's in front of them on a day-to-day basis to, to grow a crop, you know, let's just deal with that <laughs> and not, uh, and just be honest about it. Let's just be forth, forthcoming about what's really happening. Um, because then, you know, yeah, I mean, we can talk about our beliefs about climate change, but how silly is that? Like, um, do I believe in it? I mean, come on. I just, yeah. The proof, the proof of what's happening out there is being experienced on a day-to-day basis by the people who are growing things in the dirt. Um, so yeah, you don't need me to confirm anything or deny anything. (laughs) Rational idea. Wow. I know. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I'm just giving you a hard time. If, yeah. if, if, if we, if we want to go out and read this book, which I do, you're sending me one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you send me one already? Uh, I, I they are s- on the slow boat from, from England. So as soon as I get it, which should be any day, I will be sending you one. I will overnight it very on, and I will on Del it. City Air. <laughs> yeah. Put it Good. on Del City Air Services, please. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. find a dove and strap it to it and we'll shoot it and have the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if, if people want to know more about Jessica Dupuy and what you've been up to, how do they, how do they do that? Oh, thanks for asking. So, uh, no I have problem. a website. That's what I do. Yeah, I have a website. So Jessica Dupuy.com. And since I'm used to spelling my name on a regular basis, when I leave messages, uh, so it's Jessica, like Jessica by the Almond Brothers band. Um, Dupuy is spelled D-U-P-U-Y as in yellow. Mm. And so jessicadupuy.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Jessica N as in Nancy Dupuy, uh, Jessica N Dupuy. Okay. So what are your hopes out of this book? What do you want? What are you hoping to achieve? Um, You know, because this book is published by... Uh, a, a publisher and a group of people who took a chance on a region that they, they knew very little about. It was really interesting to speak with my editor back and forth on things. Cause like, what? I didn't, Whoa, I didn't know this or I didn't know that. Um, because it includes pieces of history. Like there's talk who, about who is like your editor, uh, her name is Rebecca Clare. And then I had ed- um, editorial consulting from James Tidwell, who's a master sommelier based out of Dallas. Um, so they, and, and he's from Texas, or actually technically he's from Louisiana, but he won't like that I said that. Um, but he's really, he's been there a long time, and he knows a lot about Texas wine, but he's like, I didn't know a lot of the things that I read in that book. And a lot of it's just trying to reveal that. So my hope is that people from this region read this and take a look at how serious the people that are included in it are about wine here, and that they'll give it a chance. Um, and it's important to note that I didn't cover every winery. So this is not a cheerleader book. This is not, um, 
Well, that, that's you know, something that I noticed too, with you coming out with Chris, it's not, you weren't there just to kind of pump up. You're just, you're wanting to, to glean as much knowledge from anybody you yeah. can. Yeah. 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 So, so I mean, that's I, a good I point. This is not you saying that the wineries that are covered in this book are your champion. You're just telling stories that you find um, relevant for the book. Right. Well, and, and it, the proof is in the glass. So to me, whoever's included in this book either had a, a, a significant impact on the history of Texas wine and, and, and putting it or not just Texas, but all of the Southwest. Um, but then also people who are pushing the envelope forward, who are really going to be uh, kind of defining what the next chapter in each of these industries is going to be. So like in Texas, there are technically over 450 permitted wineries within the state but this book only includes about 40 of them. So it's a, it's a, I was a big decision. Like that was a hard thing to do having covered this region for more than 10 years, but I can't play favorites. I needed to talk about people who are, who are going to be crucially important to what the next chapter is, because the people reading this book aren't just Texans and New Mexicans and Arizonans and Coloradans. They are, people that are living in the UK, people that are living in Germany, people that are living all over the country and all over Europe. And I want, if they had never been here before, I wanted them to know one, that it's serious. And two, if they came here, this is what they need to, to be looking into. Yeah. We're, we're not here for red, white, and blue grape juice. No, no, no. And that's how, that's the only reason this region is going to be taken seriously is if it's, if it's covered in that way. Well, for, for, for a wine producer, I appreciate the fact that you're doing that. And the fact that we're not mentioned in that book still makes me appreciative. (laughs) Don't worry. You'll get your chance. No, it's all right. The, the, (laughs) in wrapping up, I just, I want to ask as, as a person in the, in the Texas wine industry, what do we need to do better to get people to look at us more serious? Mm. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, the short and easy answer is to look to a state like Washington state and see what they have done in terms of coming together uh, as an industry and pushing forward their industry through cohesive and solid marketing and identity messaging. Um, I think we struggle with that in Texas. Uh, I think New Mexico is just getting started. And I think Colorado is, um, also getting started and they do a good job. I think Arizona leads the pack in terms of figuring out their messaging and who they are and where they want to be. So for Texas, my hope is that we look to some of the other states who have come before us or other regions in the world who have come before us and how they've figured out to effectively create their identity and messaging. Because I think right now we, we lack that. And, um, so I think part of that is is seated in the need for for if for growing Texas wine and making Texas wine, and that those two things need to mean the same thing. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's I think that's a great great way to look look down the road. Non intern Sarah, yeah. you fired off a great question earlier, and then you just went silent on us. Oh my gosh, well, I'm still <laughs> learning so much. She's just such a wealth of knowledge, like. <laughs> So what's, oh so you have any questions for Jessica Dupuy? Um, I just love Jessica, saying it, right? I'm not sure if you cover this in your book at all, but could you talk a little bit about 
what consumers are looking for. Like, are they caring more about where their wine comes from with this whole idea of regionality? And I think it's, mm. I don't know if I'm using this correctly, but it's something I've heard this whole idea of terroir. I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. if I'm using that word yeah. properly, but like the characteristics of a wine from, you know, it's growing environment and where it's grown, like, are people caring more about where their wine is from? I think that's a great question. And it feeds into what, what I was just talking about. Um, and that's that terroir is, is uniquely important uh, and, and really profoundly important for different regions of the world. You hear about that in Burgundy and the Rhone Valley and um, parts of, you know, the different growing regions of Germany and Spain. Um and I think it's really, really important. Um, I think for a long time, a lot of what we've been doing in each of the states of the Southwest, and I can speak to Texas more specifically, is saying we grow, we, we've got a Texas wine here and it's from Texas. And that's great. And so we've, we've kind of cut that layer. But um, for us to be able to have that added, um, I guess, clout or credibility is probably a better word. Um from how other states or other countries view us as wine producers, I think that it is important to be able to say, to talk about the regionality, to talk about the terroir. I think what, you know, what y'all are growing in Dell City is is very unique and very special. And I think it'd be neat to be able to sit a wine down that is made from there next to a wine that's made from Lostraw Vineyards in the high plains next to a wine that's watch grown, out Andy um, Timmons coming at you. Watch out Andy Timmons. We're coming for you. <laughs> I love it. The, the Pepsi challenge between Dell city and, yeah. <laughs> or Dell Valley vineyards and uh, lost draw vineyards. Um, well, I think that's, so, I, think, but, I think that's one thing with us too, though, Jessica, is we don't, you know, one, we're young at it. I mean, the, the, the grapes yeah. here are not young, which is cool. I mean, we've got, you know, yeah. we talked about that more Vedra that's up on the, on the, top block up there. Yeah. I mean, it's really cool stuff. At the same time, yeah. we don't have one. We don't have any neighbors that do this. And, and two, mm-hmm. we don't have some talk about the Appalachia of it and all of this kind of stuff. We kind of get thrown into the mix of the Texas high plains, but we're not, we're not anywhere close to no, them. You're not um, anywhere close. And yeah. I, I mean, there's the, you got the stuff that's kind of getting hip down in Fort Davis and, and, Marfa mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but it's still completely different than what we do. So mm-hmm. how, how do we as growers out here, do you think that we, to support Texas wine, do we try to make a stamp out here of what we do? Or do we try to just row the boat with the high plains and, and everything down to Galveston? No, I think you, you work with producers too. And, and you, maybe you become a producer. That's a full other story. Um, I got plenty of where, time. Yeah, we got plenty. Let's Come on, talk. Jay. Um, uh, I think you know you've got a full plate. You know that you could always add more. Um, yeah, no, that's what's important. Is so you have a producer that says, "Hey, we've got one grape that we like to spotlight. Let's say Merved, because we've talked about that in your vineyard, and we like to put out six different wines from our portfolio that." Each are made of Merved, but this one is one Merved that's from Del Valley Vineyards in this particular region of Texas. And then we also have our whole country one from this vineyard. And we have our High Plains one from this vineyard. And it's not because people are being fickle. It's because they actually want, want to be able to taste the difference. That's the fun part. 
Um, and that is where it's, it's more interesting in the same way that we say, well, does grass fed beef taste different than hundred percent corn fed or things like that? Like all of that stuff, um, not only helps create a better identity for like what you are doing specifically in your little micro region of Texas. Um, but also for, um, kind of speaking to the agricultural side of things rather than everybody can just pour a bunch of grapes into a cellar, mix it up together, add a bunch of, you know, ingredients to it. And the, the, the wine will taste the same every year. That's not fun. If the wine tastes the same every year, you need to be asking some questions. Yeah, I agree. It should take, yeah. So um, I think it's more fun to talk about things, points of differentiation and, and points of um, of uniqueness to different regions. Um, and also then you throw in vintage to vintage, what, how that works. So that's, that's where people get excited and geeky and nerdy about wine. Or you can just have a drink of it and, and enjoy a cheeseburger and not talk about it at all. All good. <laughs> Any final thoughts from you? Me? Yeah, you. I think you. Sh- yeah, I think you should um, consider launching a label and uh, it brings you to make some wine. And um, I think you should also plan that plant that extra. How many acres did you say you were, you were buying? Uh, we'll keep that disclosed at this moment. <laughs> OK, um, no, but I do. I do think and I've spoken to the French, the, the Frenchman about it. Um, he he will tell you all day long it's one of the hardest things you can do, but um, he's obviously doing it every day. So there's there's this love hate relationship, but in the end, I think the love part wins out. So definitely explore that for your book, for your time, and for your friendship. I just want to say thanks, and 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 I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that boat getting into the dock, and I get that book in my hands. Um, I'll definitely be throwing some 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 of that stuff up on Instagram. And I can't wait to read it. Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for for joining us again on the Out Here in the Middle podcast. Um, thank you so much. Thanks for the hard work you all do. That's no, absolutely. Sarah, you got any final thoughts over there? No, I'm so excited to read the book. Thanks so much, Jess. Yes, congrats, Sarah, on you. uh, your promotion from intern. I don't know why you chose to do it, but welcome to Texas. <laughs> Some people <laughs> just you. like pain. all right well from all of us in the out here in the middle podcast studio our executive director daniel mendez non-intern sarah and myself jay we just want to say be blessed god bless and we look forward to talking to you next week see ya